Good morning. I asked Anand to read uh, those scriptures for a couple of different reasons, neither of which are directly related to the sermon this morning. Um, Firstly, the ladies' weekend study uh, covered this specific topic, that through the lens of the Psalms, we can cast our cares and our burdens on God because uh, He deeply listens and cares. And it's super cool to see the, the women in our congregation like stepping up and leading each other and um, building the maturity of this group as we uh, are all working towards the same goal. But secondly, um, there are some other events this weekend that happened, albeit on the other side of the world, uh, that are also worth viewing through this lens. I was watching college football yesterday, and the broadcast was interrupted for an announcement from CNN talking about the terrorist attacks that had happened in Israel and the war and fighting that broke out between Israel and in Gaza. Um, Literal war is now going on, and there have already been hundreds of lives lost and buildings decimated and families ripped apart and other atrocities that are gut-wrenching. And it's easy um, when events like that are happening on the other side of the world or when they're happening um, just over a long period of time, like in the Ukraine, uh, that we could dismiss it or brush it aside. But those are people who are made in the image of God, and they're tearing each other apart. Uh, And if you're like me, it's easy to maybe feel helpless in those moments, but we serve a God who isn't helpless. We serve a God who can do something about it and who is actively at work in the world to change the brokenness and evil through the power of the gospel. These few verses about God being close to the brokenhearted, a refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble, someone we can cast all of our cares and anxiety on because he cares and how one day it won't be like this anymore, and there will be no more death or mourning or war or crying or pain or terrorist attacks. That's a message that we need to hear and that we need to share with other people, and specifically um, that we need to pray that that would happen, Um, but especially in moments like this. So if you would just pray with me uh, for these, these hurting people. God, we recognize that you are ever-present and all-powerful. And there are moments where there is so much evil and brokenness in the world, it can be hard to remember that it wasn't always this way. And we know that you created a perfect place and that we are the ones whose sins have broken it. But we know that you are doing and have done things to fix that. And that one day at the, re- the restoration and the recreation of all things. It's not going to be like this anymore. And so help us to be bold and to share that good news of the gospel and the, the good news of your plan. But especially right now, please just share your presence with these people who are in an incredibly scary and brutal situation that you would be seen as such a reasonable alternative and a light and a hope in the midst of darkness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Now, if you'll allow a very hard pivot from that to the actual focus of our our lesson uh, this morning, we're going to be studying a few stories from the life of a first century man who went about preaching and teaching after leaving his simple blue-collar job that he'd done his whole life. He went on to become an influential voice, and he sparked a movement uh, that spread from the people of Israel to the whole world. He performed miracles, he walked on water, history tells us he was crucified, and to this day we learn from his example and consider his words as we strive to live how God would tell us to. Michael slightly let the cat out of the bag that that's Peter and not Jesus, but uh, they do sound a lot alike. And there's good reason for that because Peter was one of Jesus' earliest disciples. He was in this inner circle of James and John and Peter um, and generally sticks out as like perhaps the most notable disciple of Jesus in all of the Gospels. We have significantly more content on Peter than we do on Thaddeus or Bartholomew. So our objective today will be to look at a few moments from the life of Peter and consider the impact and implications of his narrative and legacy within Scripture. Other than than Paul, uh, there's nobody that we can more readily associate with than Peter. He's eminently relatable and maybe even more relatable than Paul because we read a lot about Peter's mistakes And we are a people who make mistakes. And so Peter feels like someone we can really latch on to. He is somebody that we see has tremendous highs while simultaneously, even in the same breath sometimes, having tremendous lows. There are several moments in his life where Peter seems to to get it. Have you ever met people who, in a certain situation, they just get it? Like, they understand what's important in this immediate moment. And you're like, ah, he gets it, right? This is Peter in a few of these moments. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. This is the first interaction where we see Jesus and Peter um, really, like, beginning this relationship as master and teacher. We'll start reading in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, talking about Jesus, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this is a moment where we first meet Peter, also known as Simon, and pretty immediately, he seems to get it. Not just, oh wow, Jesus has control over fish, and so that's significant, or I could make a lot of money as a fisherman, but I understand that I'm a sinful man, and this power that you have comes from God, and there's a disconnect here. Turn over in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, starting in verse 22, is another story of Peter um, in a boat with Jesus. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but, but, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So do you see here how Peter gets it? Like, everybody's naturally really afraid when in the middle of this storm you see somebody out walking on the waves headed your way. And it's like, yeah, that would be pretty terrifying. Also, I guess we realize that the apostles believed in ghosts to some extent through this, um, or at least they were afraid of them. But in this moment, Peter like, says, well, wait, if that's actually Jesus, like, despite the fact that I'm a sinful man and be far away from me, I want to be where you are, even if it's scary. And so he steps out of the boat into the sea and the water and Massive newsflash, Peter, on his own power, cannot walk on water. So, like, in this moment, you're like, what is this dude doing? Like, but because of his faith, he is able to transcend the laws of physics. Because of his faith in Jesus, Jesus empowers him, and he walks on the water for a little bit. So we see Peter here gets it in a way that none of the other disciples seem willing or crazy enough to do. Granted, he does have a little moment of doubt, and he takes his eyes off the prize, but we'll come back to that. 
This final piece where Peter seems to get it is found in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. And Peter went on with his disciples to the, or excuse me, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So at this moment when Jesus is taking an inventory of the disciples' understanding and of maybe his reputation at large, there are a few prevailing thoughts that maybe you're John the Baptist, maybe you're just another one of the prophets, but Peter gets it and he says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. This is a very significant moment. But at the same time, and this is critically important, there are also some 100% moments in Peter's life where he does not get it. If you literally just read the next few verses in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So immediately after Peter has just said, you are the Christ. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So, Immediately after Peter makes this confession and says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, he then goes on to say, and Jesus, I know what that means more than you do. And don't go talking about you being killed. What? You're wrong there. And so it's like, Peter, you were so close. Like you were onto something here and then you totally missed it, man. Turn to John 18. We'll look at two more quick stories. John 18, the scene here is the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Um, Picking up maybe in verse 3. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup 
the Father has given me. So Jesus here is pictured as being in like complete and total control of the situation. They come up to him and he's like, hey guys, who are you looking for? And they say, well, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I'm Jesus. And they all like fall away. They can't even approach the man that they're here to take. That happens again, and Jesus says, hey, I'm Jesus, let these people go. So if Peter is going to get it or read the room, you can see that Jesus, who, by the way, we just read, had already told them plainly, this is going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed and beaten and killed, and I'm going to rise again after that. So Peter should have been fully aware of this, and then even in the immediate moment, he sees Jesus saying, yeah, like, I'm him if you're looking for him. Like, let these guys go and I'll go with you. But despite all of the context clues, um, Peter doesn't get it. He grabs a sword and instead uh, manages to cut off Malchus's ear. Do you know the phrase, you couldn't do that again even if you wanted to? Like, like you couldn't do that again even if you tried. That's me when I like, try and basketball shoot a piece of trash into the trash can, it bounces around and manages to land. Some food for thought. Do you think Peter was just trying to do like ear surgery on Malchus? I think he got massively lucky and it was one of those like, you couldn't manage to cut that dude's ear off again even if you tried. I think Peter in this moment is aiming for the, the head and Malchus manages to duck out of the way. In spite of all of the reason to not do this, Peter doesn't get it and thinks, I need to defend Jesus, and his logic is, is, all, is all wrong. And then finally, in the most famous instance of uh, maybe Peter not getting it, is his denial of Jesus later in John uh, 18. He goes so far as to say, I don't even know the man. This is immediately after he told Jesus, like, I will go die for you and I will never deny you. And so you see Peter is just this elevator of a person. And one moment he's up and the next moment he's down. And he's like just a man of intensity. He, he's all in, but he may not be very consistent one occasion that strikes me as particularly funny is in like John 13 when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He came to Simon Peter in verse 6, um, talking about Jesus, and, and Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you don't understand now, but afterward you'll understand. And Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And then immediately the next sentence out of uh, Peter's mouth is, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> He's like, oh, I didn't get it, but now I got it. And these themes of Peter having these light bulb moments and kind of getting it, but then other not getting it, um, continue in the book of Acts, although the balance dramatically shifts to a narrative of him getting it. His experience with the risen Jesus leads him to become sturdy and steadfast, 
naturally evolving into a leader and an elder in the early church. We read of one occasion where Paul has to set Peter straight because of his treatment of the Gentile Christians after some of the Jewish Christians had come in and and pressured uh, Peter to stop eating with them. But other than that, we read an account of someone who doggedly pursued truth and dedicated their life to Christ. There's a lot more stories that we could examine from Peter, but we'll stop there. So some takeaways or some points for us to consider. Our first point is that people who make bad mistakes can make good leaders. Let's think about it this way, just hypothetically. Let's say we've decided as a local congregation to look for new elders and try and appoint some new elders. In the scope of this process, the name of a brother comes up, uh, and at a first glance, he would seem to fit the bill. He's a passionate follower of Jesus and a leader in both actions and in teaching. This guy doesn't have a shallow understanding of Scripture. He deeply knows God and His Word. Um, This man is married, and he has brought other people to Jesus. At 30,000 feet, this would look like an airtight fit, right? But then somebody brings up in hushed tones, did you know that, like, he actually tried to murder somebody with a deadly weapon? And he fell away pretty publicly for a while, and he was actually really discriminatory towards this certain section of Christians. Are we so sure that we want that guy? How are we feeling about this guy now, at this point in time, as a potential leader for this group, knowing that history? Because one of the things that we simply have to grapple with is what Scripture tells us. That someone with these experiences, Peter, became an elder. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, in the opening kind of verse, uh, he identifies himself as a fellow elder and exhorts the elders uh, among the recipients to shepherd the flock of God. So what do we learn from that today? Well, I think if you were to ask Danny and Chip and Chad if they've ever made any big mistakes in their life, they would be quick to tell you that you don't get to, let's call it gray-haired age, without your fair share of mistakes. It may not seem obvious to us in 2023 because we didn't necessarily see these three in their early stages of faith development, but I bet they would be willing to share the times that they just didn't get it. We make a huge mistake if we think that the only people we can have as leaders are people without uh, a track record of making mistakes or even like public flaws. Because newsflash, those people with a spot-free record of never making bad decisions do not exist. Now, I'm not saying we've made all the same choices, but we all have made choices contrary to God's will, and we've had to face the consequences. 
So stay with me here. Can you see how it's Peter's missteps that directly then lead to his understanding of how to handle those situations in the future? Whenever he denied Jesus because he was afraid of what might happen to him as a disciple, that low point taught him a very important lesson, which then came to fruition when he was boldly facing the exact same court that tried and crucified Jesus, and he tells them, I cannot and I will not stop preaching. This is the guy who said, I don't even know the man. But he learned from that situation. Peter's rebuke to Jesus, this get-behind-me-Satan moment, the far-be-it-from-you, Lord, about Jesus dying, got him chastised by Jesus, saying, you are a stumbling block and a hindrance to me. You're not thinking about the things of God, but the things of man. That lack of perspective and of focus taught him how to turn and put his focus where it needed to be. We see this like just sturdy presence for the rest of his life culminating in him sharing the gospel and a willingness to die for Jesus. So whenever we look for people to lead us in our local congregation, we definitely need to do it with the same lens that scripture tells us to do. Um, But that very well may include people who have made messy or public sins in the past. Now, an important caveat, there is a difference between someone who is actively or perhaps even recently making wrong decisions and someone who has made wrong decisions and learned and grown through them. But ultimately, though, like, is there anybody better to counsel people who are broken and going through hard times than people who have been broken and gone through hard times and learned from them through the remedy of Jesus? But here's the secret, is that this principle doesn't just apply to elders and leaders in the public sense. Everyone can share in this pathway of vulnerability and share in leading others to Christ and in Christ. Sometimes it's tempting for us to want to position ourselves kind of like you do on social media and just filter everything out and act like man, I better not confess or be transparent about my struggles, current or former, because I wouldn't want people to judge me or I wouldn't want to discourage other people by seeing their mistakes. But that attitude could not be more wrong. Not only does it sell short the redeeming work of Jesus to forgive those sins and neglect the reality that everybody needs God's grace, But we cut the legs out from the gospel if we don't admit that we're sinful. If we don't admit and share the sins that we're saved from, we're not going to be able to effectively make other people feel like they can do the same and be saved from it. Only when we share with others how despite our brokenness, we've been made whole in Christ, only then will they consider that the same thing might be possible for them. If we try to share Christ from behind a mask of perfection, it will land insincerely, ineffectively, and leave people with a sense that we are just a bunch of phonies or that they just cannot possibly relate because everybody over here is just better than I am. Jesus called that idea whitewashed tombs of being shiny on the outside and dead on the inside. 
And the reason that Peter is so relatable and so helpful is because we see his flaws and we see his growth. That's what makes him say, oh, I can be that guy. He came back from that. I can do the same. So because people who make bad mistakes can still be good leaders, leading the church, leading others to Christ, and leading others in Christ. Our last point will be that we need to be glad when we see the Lord. We learned that from Peter. So earlier we read two separate stories about times when Peter was in a boat and reacting to Jesus. But there's actually a third story in the Gospels about Peter being in a boat reacting to Jesus that shows us like the final evolution of his understanding of who Jesus was and how to react to him. Do you remember at first how Peter interacted with Jesus at the shoreline? He reluctantly obeyed when he was told to go cast his nets. Um, He almost sinks the boats with how much fish they catch. And so he comes up to Jesus and he falls on his knees and says, Get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. Or in other words, he properly sees Jesus whenever he understands his own position in the right context. But his initial reaction is, my sins are too much. Leave me alone. I'm unworthy. I'm not worth saving. In the second story, Peter changed his tune a little bit, and he's moved beyond hesitantly obeying, beyond telling Jesus to go away because he's too sinful. And now Peter steps out of the boat into the sea. He walks towards Jesus, and he's saying, I want to be where you are even if it's scary, even if I shouldn't be, and I believe that you can make that happen. You see the progression from the first attitude? But Peter ends up taking his eyes off of Jesus and focusing on the the storm and the surrounding winds and waves. But even as he's sinking, he cries out, Lord, save me. So even though he's surrounded by a storm and his own shortcomings, he still in that moment is looking to Jesus as the answer. He's got some light bulb moments, but he's not fully the way we see him in this last section. Turn to John 21. John chapter 21, we see the final evolution of Peter's attitude toward and his desire for Jesus. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. 
the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. So Peter must have had this absolute moment of deja vu. He hears John say, it's the Lord, and now Peter is once again jumping out of the boat, but this time it's not a hesitant, how does this work, walking on water. It is a wholehearted plunge. This is not saying, go away, I'm too broken. This is not saying, I'll come to you, but not when it gets scary. This is not saying, I'm perishing in desperation, please help me. This is saying, I need to be where you are, and I need to be there right now. Because I know you, I believe in you, and I love you. And this is after Peter had denied Jesus three times. This would have been at the point where he's arguably at his lowest. He would have had more reason to say, get away from me, than he had before. So what's changed? Earlier in John 20, we read of Peter examining the empty tomb and then being in a room with the other disciples and having the risen Jesus appear to them. He sees the holes in the hands of Jesus and he sees the hole in his side. He had seen up close and personal the victory that Jesus had over sin and death. John chapter 20, in verse 20 When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And I think that's got to be one of the biggest understatements in all of Scripture. They were glad. They were exuberant. They were rejoicing. They were floored. They were flabbergasted. They were glad. So now in this other event with Peter in the boat. He fully gets it. He understands the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel, and that no matter how sinful he is or how many times he has to get back up on his feet, Jesus is there with outstretched arms. When Peter finally gets it, he connects all the dots. When he experiences the risen Jesus, it all clicks. So he's glad when he sees the Lord. And we should be too. We'll close with just a few questions. Do you see Jesus clearly enough to follow in Peter's footsteps? Are you willing to leave everything to follow him? Are you willing to step out into uncertain situations and into stormy waters if he asks you to? Are you so ready to be with him that you would willingly jump out of anything that would slow you down on your way? And finally, Are you glad to see the Lord? Let's think about these things as we stand and sing.